Welcome to King Size. King Through the Ages, as Stephen King podcast. For obsessives, by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Jamie Stewart. The 1990s, part two. everybody welcome back to uh king size and king through the ages with jamie and matt we're going to be guiding you through uh we looked in our previous episode the 90s part one at those stories that lead us along the path of the beam to the dark tower and now we are looking more at those books that are more domestic horror more psychological horror rooted in the reality so listen i think we just are going to jump straight in it's a dark place uh, and i think that the, the sooner we rip this plaster off and jump in the better uh, i'm joined by jamie good afternoon jamie how you doing good to be here as always yeah great man good to have you back so uh last episode we looked at four past midnight the wastelands insomnia rose madder wizard and glass and hearts in atlantis what uh smorgasbord of delights have you got lined up for us today jamie as we've discussed, we want to talk about the more psychological, the more grounded horror. I've noticed that on my reread from following from the 80s into the 90s, that that was sort of something that a trend that King was enjoying. It was moving away from more from the monsters and the sort of overall natural supernatural elements in his writing to focus on more sort of grounded elements. So the novel that I'd like to bring to our attention uh, for today, uh, the first one off uh, is Jared's Game. OK, t- t- tell us about it. Um, so Jared's Game is a story about a husband and wife uh, having a secluded weekend away in their cabin in the woods. And they have been their middle aged couple. Their family has all grown up. They are sort of uh, experiencing a kind of dry spell in the bedroom. And they've recently discovered. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a beautiful way to put it. That's poet. that's why <laughs> you're a writer. Tried. That's why you're an author. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, uh, and yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. So uh, they recently experienced a rekindling in that apartment with a certain kind of game, which is Jared's game. And the reason why it's called that, as we discover, is Jessie, the main character of this book, isn't really into this particular game. Um, she's not really a fan of being handcuffed to the bed um, as Jared uh, likes her to be. But she goes along with it because, one, it pleases him and it's also nice to have her husband interested in her in that way. And after a dry spell, as I've said... Um, but things go awry. Jared gets a bit more too intense for Jesse and refuses to stop. Uh, and Jared, unfortunately, has not looked after his health very well. And when Jesse intervenes with uh, a kick, he ends up having a heart attack and she ends up being handcuffed to the bed, alone, isolated, unable to get out, only with her thoughts of help. Well, but first of all, Jamie, I mean, congratulations on so poetically and beautifully setting up the premise of that. (laughs) A dark, really dark book. (laughs) Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I mean, again, 
what really strikes me is we're back to that classic, that two-hander. You know, I love it when King goes smaller with the characters yes. uh, yes. again, because it really, really has echoes for me immediately of Misery, which, as we know, is, you know, for me, an all time high for King. Um, so, again, we've got, you know, the what if it's the what if is so strong with this one, isn't it? You know, suddenly she's there handcuffed to the bed and, you know, at, at the mercy of everything. Um, <laughs> it's a real it's a real heart stopper. It's a quite a um, quite an op- an opener, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's how it opens immediately. Like this all happens within the first six pages. Yeah, and and it's quite a lengthy book in itself. And you know, I think King's wife said to him, "Eventually, you're just going to write a story where it's just a sofa because this is a book about one character in a room trapped." And he's always done these wee isolated books. You talked about Misery is a good reference. Kuja was another one with you know yeah. a mother and husband and son trapped yes. in the car. This is another sort of trapped, again, Hitchcockian kind of premise that he's doing. But the, the fantastic thing about it is there's such depth here and there's such there is such brilliance with Jared's game. Um, and, you know, and for me, I did not experience that on the first read. But again, I was 13. I wasn't really ready for this book. And what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of right. <laughs> and I think I went into this book going, is this even king? You know, where's the vampire? Um and now on the reread, I I fucking love this book. I thought it was such, such a, a just such a journey he takes you on into this person's head and into her issues and into her sort of her the things she does to survive. You sort of are with her every step of the way, cheering her on. Yes, mm. you know I've got I've gone from a place where I didn't really like Jesse as a character to really really loving her as a as a person, and I I think it'd be hard for anyone who reads this book to not feel that way um and i but i do feel like there is there is the one criticism i have and i think it's the same criticism we could say of the flanagan adaption uh is that this book should have ended with jesse leaving the house you should it should have got cut the black we should not have seen anything after jesse you know because yeah. there's a segment in the big at the end of this book that goes on a little too long where you see her back in the modern world this yeah. book is just about jesse handcuffed to a bed the moment she gets out and she gets out in the most brutalist of ways oh, yeah. that should have been just cut the black that would have been yeah. such a good pulpy tale and i think if king had written this book well one i don't think he could have been able to write this book when he was you know a younger person he needed the years of maturity to be able to write it but i think the 70s writer would have done that the the guy that existed and wrote salem's law mm-hmm. and and wrote it and kujo would have just cut mm. the black there um mm. but yeah and so this is the first you can see i think this is why you know, this is 1992. This is a trend that begins yeah. with sort of more grinded horror. And I think maybe some of the fans were put off by that. Maybe he was sort of trying to deal with his critics and trying to write more serious stuff, but also stay true to who he is. Um, but um, I think if you yeah. read this book, you'll love it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying there, Jamie, in the respect of... I almost feel sometimes there's this friction, this dichotomy with King, again, wanting to write a certain way, but then obviously being tethered is too strong a word, but, 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 but there's a link to what is expected of him. And I feel like in Rose Madder, again, as we mentioned in our previous episode, in part one of our study of the nineties, it would have been a more effective book for, for me 
uh, and a braver book if he just didn't do the you know mystical world and just stuck to uh, Norman and Rose and kept it grounded. And I also feel the same here. I feel he's almost at times trying to ride two horses, you know. Uh, for me, the the story of Jessie and her in this predicament and what's she going to do and the voices that she hears and the good wife and the, you know, the voices that we have when we're our darkest and most vulnerable. That's fascinating. That's enough for me. I don't necessarily need the other kind of hinting of supernatural or the final section um kind of like this book is so intimate that broadening it in any way it sort of goes against that book it's the same thing we said you're absolutely yeah. right it's against it's the same thing that rose matter does that it takes away from the book in some ways you know it detracts it because it's sort of like it sets out to be this very intimate thing yeah and then the end which goes on for a good hundred pages of jesse in real life interacting with people after the event yeah and you know i would only want maybe five pages of that at maximum if at all i think it would actually you know as again i say just cut the black just have her leave the house uh, well, and that's it yeah again it's similar to you know misery you know again i i, I don't want once we realize you know what's happened to annie and once you know we, we get to the end of that book i don't want to see paul sheldon out there back in the real world you know i it's enough for me to finish it there finish it in the house um and yeah, it, it definitely feels like it loses some of its intensity and the claustrophobia that I think so powerfully and beautifully depicted um, and, and the resourcefulness of this character. Um, I, I, I love the idea of leaving it there and letting us know where she goes. And with something like that, Jamie, I mean, you know, what, where do you think that... I guess responsibility like that lies with is it with the editor or with the author obviously by this stage we're in the 90s we're 92 king obviously a huge name hugely successful editors you know you know he's well, gonna have final say where does that kind of balance lie if you were to see a draft too popular like the tommy knockers was published that's my mm. argument there the Tommy Knockers yeah. was like published in the condition it was in, and we've already discussed that book needed an editor. But it was also the, one of the third biggest sellers of the night of the eighties. Mm. So it didn't. That's how powerful his name was. You know, he mm. was just selling books, and with yeah. that, you know, maybe other than proofreading his work, the publishing industry maybe was just like, mm. okay, he's going to sell, leave it as it is. You know, we don't want to stop him having the availability of having another book out this year to redo it because we know if we do stop him or if we don't stop him he'll probably have another book for us next month yeah you know the man writes them out that fast why would they hinder him by saying this needs to be redone a little bit not that the book did need rewritten i just think you cut it off at a certain point um and there's all this stuff you know when you there's all these you know writing advice and all that stuff that you say there's lots of first drafts where it's like Th this is the writer telling the, himself the story in these paragraphs or this mm -hmm. section. Mm -hmm. The reader doesn't necessarily need this. So cut it mm -hmm. and you find that, you know, most people, you know, that that's the added advice you get and you end up cut it, killing your darlings or killing. But they're more not darlings. They're more notes for yourself to know character yeah. motivations or back history. So you've written it down. So it's in your head. But the reader necessarily doesn't need to know all of that. And I think the whole purpose of this story is get Jesse out of the handcuffs, which happens. Yeah. So you don't need to 
you don't need to see her in her life, you know, and I think it would make much more of an, oh, you know, yeah, she escaped the room, but did she escape the forest? You know, mm. kind of that would be where I'd like to be left in that book. And I suppose I can because I can just stop reading at that point and the next time I will. Um, but yeah, and but other than that, it's an absolute powerhouse of a book. I think it's so well done. Um, and, and it's really surprising, you know, as you've mentioned, all the the internal monologue she has with those those various yeah. personalities and you know how they have existed all of her life. Well, I find that that's the bit I find just so powerful within the novel. And I like the Flanagan adaptation, but again, for me, it's always, you know, the novel can go places where just by the nature of the medium film can't, you know, the good wife, you know, that puritanical version of Jesse saying, you know, everything will be fine. Just wait to be rescued. Come on, just wait. And then the, you know, the other voice just going, no, 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 do this now. And I mean, look, you know, I always say to people, you know, hands up if you don't have a voice in your head. We all have a voice in our head. And in that moment where absolutely every decision she makes is critical, her life depends on this. Do you wait? Do you Go, are you crippled by inaction? She's in an amygdala hijack, fight or flight or freeze. And for me, it's a book about, you know, if you suddenly, you you go through life and you have this trigger and you suddenly find yourself in this situation of, oh my God, I'm suddenly now life and death. Five minutes ago, I was, you know, rekindling a relationship. Five minutes ago, I was out hiking and then suddenly I have a fall and suddenly you're thrown into this position. And what do you do with it? Um, I think it's a fascinating study of, uh, of human resilience. So again, for me, that's, that's all it needs. And his storytelling when he goes into that, that those inner conflicting voices is so powerful. So would you take away, if you were going back and almost reimagining this book or say King was like, yeah, you know, I'm really open to go back and let's strip this bit out of Rose Madden with Jarrah's game. Let's try this. Would you remove the whole space cowboy thing and, the Moonlit Man. Yeah. I, I wouldn't actually, you know, I think the Flanagan adaption did it best where, you know, that's how I would end it with her dropping the ring in mm. and then walking out. That's how I'd cut the black there. You yeah. can interpret yeah. that as her having blood loss, you know, you, you no know explanation because yeah. that's how the, the, the adaption in the book ruined that because when she, she leaves, she find, she gives the reader all this information about that character. You yeah. learn who he was, he was a grave digger and all this stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, I don't because the way I read it in that book before I got to the ending and discovered he was actually a real person, I just assumed it was Jesse having a mental breakdown. I didn't assume it was supernatural. I didn't assume it was real. I just assumed he was under you know the pressure of the situation. So, you know, and it's yeah. Passage because Jessie has spent all of her life running from the situation that happened when she was a child, when she, you know, she experienced sexual abuse. Yeah. And not her personal hell is being locked in with her thoughts to be able to confront this issue she doesn't want to and it makes her confront it and then when and also confront the fact that she married this man and you know he's not necessarily the best person in the world but she you know she fought you know she married a man very similar to her father and the dropping of the wedding ring into that sort of symbolizes to me of her it's as it's a big of sort of like fuck you i don't need you anymore i'm my own person I'm done. That's where you leave it. And it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, you know, that moment where, uh, you know, in the, where she's remembering the, the aftermath of the abuse, 
it was when she had that connection, that mm-hmm. momentary like psychic connection with an unknown woman mm-hmm. that crops up somewhere else, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Dolores Claiborne. Um uh, well, that's of course that's down to the fact that these books, and I've talked about this decade already, where I find a lot of these books felt like they should be separate novels. There's two books in one sort of thing. Yeah, Dead Game and Dolores Claiborne were originally planned to be one book. Um, and wow. uh, and obviously they aren't, and I think it's better for it that they aren't. I, I don't think you could have, it, it, but having that as that way would reduce the power of each story. Uh, so it would in much way that the mythical element of Rose Matter reduces that, you know. So I'm very happy that they kept them separate because I I love both of them, but I wouldn't want both of them together. And mm. I do like the fact that they're connected. It doesn't like ruin it for me because I think King does it in such a such a uniquely well written way that because it's so brief, it's like a flash and it's gone. Yeah. It's not like this big scene. It doesn't cut yeah. and it goes into this big, you know, like we talked about sometimes flashbacks are hard or dream sequences. It doesn't become this dream sequence. It just it's there and it's gone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's it's a flash, isn't it? It's a flash of, of this girl along with the solar eclipse backdrop. It, it's there, it's just there, isn't it? Yeah. She just gains a bit of strength from it to yeah. endure what she has to endure. And, yes. and, that's it. and, uh, and yeah, and yeah, and yeah. yeah. Well, I remember you when, when we first met, when you were a uh, survivor type, one of the, the very first survivor types on our, on our island. Um, so listeners do check out Jamie's survivor type uh, episode. It's an absolute cracker. We had a conversation about obviously many, all things King. Uh, and I hadn't read this book at the time and it was uh, following our discussion uh, that I, I read this book Um and I, I know that it's one that holds holds a place quite dear to you, right? Um, yeah, Dolores Claiborne, I absolutely hold it dear to my heart. I think it it's such an underrated gem of a story and a book, and I think it gets it does get overlooked um, because of the format it's written in. Um, it's really unusual. It's you know King has has this trick of writing. Uh, with characters telling stories through dialogue, and this entire book is just one person talking to another person uh, in an interview room and that person's Dolores and it's just all her dialogue. There's no descriptions other than what is in her words. So um, it's again one of his wee things that he likes to do and he's always liked to do it in various stories and, and novels and in and, and the Dark Tower they would call it a palaver where a character tells a story but we don't instead as many novelists would do is flash to sort of the the, percept- the perceptions of the characters involved in the story. Instead it's just him or him or her telling the story through their own dialogue and that's the entirety of this book and it's like 300 pages mm-hmm. but and i think that can put people off uh, i know it did put me off initially i was kind of like what is this <clears throat> what am i reading i have to adjust you know my thought process to you know what uh what this was and i, I can understand that because it was 13 when i first encountered Dolores. um but i've subsequently you know read it as an adult and read it on my reread and i just fall in love with the Dolores even more i think she's one of his most phenomenal female characters uh, orc and just in general characters overall throughout his you know his bibliography and uh 
for me, one of the things that you, that we talked about with these books that we're selecting for this episode, the sort of grounded psychological horror, more set in a domestic setting, Dolores certainly feels like the the nexus of that kind of theme and the kind of uh, the 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 one the idea that he sort of completely gets it right. Uh, you know, I always say to King, uh, about King, and as we've said in multiple episodes, he tries wee ideas out. And they may be small in, in a novel, and then suddenly that idea will become the main focus of another novel. And I think with Misery, we can track, you know, the idea to write these sort of psychologically grounded horror stories comes from Misery, because Misery is a book that, as we've already spoken out, doesn't have any supernatural elements in it. And same with Jared, Jared Jared's game, same with Dolores. Uh, and this is an avenue you took within the 90s with other books as well, which we'll, we'll reference later. But I think Dolores is the one where he gets it completely right. There is, there is, there, you know, it, this is a book that you would not think Stephen King wrote, would write. You know, yeah. there are elements in it that are horrifying, but it's a, it's more like mainstream literature. If you took away from the fact that it's written with this dialogue thing, it could be, you know, a book by any of the big, um, you know, literary authors of the time, mm-hmm. because it's about a woman who set in a certain period of time where there is certainly a lot of um, grievance and a lot of uh, sexism against genders and mm-hmm. men and males were certainly put in pedestals above females, particularly in marriages. And um, it's just phenomenal. Have you read it yourself? What is your thoughts on Flores? Yeah, so after... Um... We spoke about a certain island where you might have been banished to <laughs> in one of our king size survivor types. Um, I yeah, I, I I read it. In fact, that was the following book I read on the back of, of speaking to you about it. And um, yeah, it's amazing it, 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 because it made me work really hard. You know, you got a book that's got no chapters. It's yep. you know, a con- single continuous narrative. Um this trend it, it feels like a transcript <clears throat> a police transcript of that spoken monologue um and i found it really challenging which i i i think is you know just maybe laziness as me as a, a as a reader but also sometimes we cling to those life rafts of chapters and chapter headings and page breaks and i i i, I found it hard to get into the groove of it um yeah. Because, um, yeah, I, I think that that's the point. It's, it's that challenge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But once I did, you know, I love what he's playing with, that idea of a continuous monologue. Mm-hmm. And I really started to hear her voice yeah. and the rhythms and the cadences and the speech patterns and the way that she spoke to the cop interviewing her and the memories that were fresh minted. So from a literary point of view, I, I think it's an astonishing triumph. Um, the narrative um, really had echoes for me of, uh, uh, you know, almost a reverse of 1922. Um, yep. uh, you know, I, I, I felt it was really embedded there. And again, I was fascinated by that mirror image, that link that happens within this book and Gerard's game. Um, yeah. I love that moment of King's um, worlds connecting, you know, yeah. this, literally this eclipse happening where one book almost goes in front of the other. I, I, I thought that was fascinating. 
I, I do love that section myself as well. Uh, you are right. It is a challenge. And I think that's why people need to be prepared going into it because it's not like any other King book, certainly. And it's very difficult to read like that. I'm used to like, you know, I read I read in my work. So if I breaks over, I literally have to stop whenever yeah. you know, I have whatever passageway I've come up to. So it doesn't necessarily I stop when chapters are there or whatever. So mm-hmm. I've always learned to read like that. So it's so mm-hmm. I can sort of handle it better that way. But for those who don't know, Dolores is, you know, we should probably explain a bit about the story. Dolores is, yeah. Dolores Claiborne is the main character. She's a woman of a certain age. I think she's in her mid fifties going on to sixties. She's got, she's had a, she has a family. She has a daughter and um, she's married to this man who's a bit of a tyrant. Uh, and, and I suppose a low level tyrant. This is not like the villain of Randall Flagg. This is yeah. not this kind of, you know, it's not this low, this, overarching kind of thing it's a very much grounded kind of evil and human kind of evil that is occurring and it's just this man who you know didn't mad up to much in his own life mm. and it's bitter and is angry and you know has turned to alcohol and has turned to taking out his anger and his wife and his family home and uh it begins to have um an attraction a fancy to his own daughter as she becomes a teenager and it's also the story about Dolores, who is a carer uh, to the person she cares for, this person called Vera, who um, Dolores Carborn is set entirely on this island called Little Tall Island, which has been in a few of King's stories. But Vera is not considered a full time resident because she's from somewhere else and she's yeah. from money. And Vera, but by the end of it, they kind of do accept Vera because she becomes sort of part of the the you know the background of that island because she's there so long. But Vera begins to have dementia in her later years, and Dolores is accused of her murder essentially. Mm-hmm. And the whole premise of the book is Dolores going into the police and saying, "I didn't kill her, but I did kill my husband, and this is how I did." Uh, and it's just this it's this this revelation of a story that even though it's told through this narrative of just constant monologue there's so many twists and turns that i find so sort of like my throat my heart was in my throat because you know again it's a time capsule of a novel it's set um at a time where society didn't value women in the way that we value them now not that they're you know and um not that you know we're completely there yet but in some circles but with this book, you really got to see how much uh, the discrimination was there against, you know, any female or anyone of the mm-hmm. female persuasion in the fact that, like, Dolores decides that she needs to leave her husband. She's aware that her husband is, you know, has desires to her to her daughter, mm-hmm. to their daughter. And she mm-hmm. decides to flee. And she's been saving money, saving money all her life, putting money away while he's been spending it on booze and such. Yeah. And she goes to the bank with this decision one day and while he's not a smart man, he's a cunning man, and he learn he knows that she's going to do it. She's withdrawn all the money from her account, and Dolores has this. There's this awful exchange with the bank manager where she says, "That's my account. It's in my name. His name's not on it. It's mine. Why did you let him withdraw it?" And they were like, well, "We know he's married to you. It doesn't." And it's this sort of thing. This this you know, like we have these systems in place where you know you would not be entitled to get anywhere near that because it's her money, no matter what you know your relationship is to that mm-hmm. person. But back then, 
because the bank manager's a man and the the you know the husband man and they have this kind of boyish kind of like oh you know she can't handle it i'm going to take the money because you know i'm more responsible and they and they and, and that's allowed and they get away with it yeah. this criminal act and 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 it's left Dolores in this situation where she as a mother has to protect her child um but she has no you know she has la- she's basically she has to she has to murder him in order to survive yeah. you know she order for her daughter not to be um you know and and it's it's such an interesting concept because she she does create a way in which she is capable of getting away with murder without being suspect but the ones around her suspect something her daughter suspects something and it's this really interesting kind of twist where he is dispatched afterward and the daughter, then their relationship frays and mm-hmm. the daughter has this resentment towards Dolores. And even though she goes on and has this amazing life mm-hmm. and visits very rarely and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Dolores is always aware of this divide between them. But at the same time, she still feels she made the right decision. She protected her daughter and allowed her to go and have a life because who knows what the ramifications of this father-daughter relationship if it had been allowed to continue would have caused and i just uh that i love it for that i love it for the twist you know you really feel for dolores predicament you feel for her as you know a woman that she's, she describes herself as uneducated but doesn't mean she's dumb she just doesn't have qualifications she's a very smart intelligent woman but mm-hmm. she can't do it she can't flee she's part of this island community that you know everyone knows everything but that's ingrained in her so mm-hmm. she can't leave it or she feels she can't because she doesn't know the mainland life <clears throat> and then there's also this lovely extra sort of sub story with the relationship between her and vera the woman she looks after that i really love because vera mm-hmm. is in one of the themes of the book is which i don't fully agree with but is sometimes being a bitch is all a woman has and vera <laughs> is being a bitch and and does treat people even the people that treat her kindly and you know as you know she treat she really down she's really downtrodden them she's really hard on them yeah. and uh, even for the people that have been with her looking after her for like you know 40 years mm. but that relationship where vera deteriorates and becomes you know she dementia takes toll and she begins to lose her her free you know her mobility and she's confined to a bed and the only thing that she has power over is like her bowel movements and we you know everyone talks about king and you know in a way that you know the scatological humor and takes it as a joke but in this book i find it so serious because I have having experience with these things when you're confined to that area you know you're confined to a bed and you have so little power whatever power you have you hold on to and this woman uses her sort of you know has explosive diarrhea in order for the woman around her such as Dolores to clean up and you know it gives her a feeling of choice mm. and this and and the way King depicts it is this war between the carer who wants to care for this person you know you know it's it's generally there for goodwill as well as you know being paid to be there but generally wants to look after and care for her. but at the same time it's this clash of personalities of you know even though she's looking after her, sometimes vera doesn't want to look be looked after because she doesn't she resents the situation she's in and i just find that so interesting and so well put you know i think you know for anyone going into health health care I've I've said this multiple times. Read Dolores Claiborne because that's mm-hmm. what it's like. That patient, um, you know, patient care relationship. You know, just speaking from you know things I've experienced with my family and stuff like that, being in that situation. Um, 
yeah here, yeah here, here here yeah for for sure I, I mean i think it is that you know i've i've been a carer and, and i am a carer and it is i i love what you say there about you you hold on to that power when so much is being stripped away from you you know in dementia in you know as such a one of the scariest monsters around and one of the most scariest monsters that king's written about and when you're stripped of so much, you know, you hold on to the things that you do have agency of, you know, mm. an agency over. And, and and this is it. And that's why for me, Vera was, I mean, I mean, I there was a humor to it. There was a darkness. There was a flamboyance. There was a sadness. And I thought it was a really beautiful study of, of dementia as well. Yeah. And the role um, of a carer. That for some people, you know, it, it's a professional paid role for a lot of people living the world over. It's not. It's a role that often you're forced into um, and you suddenly have to take that on. And it calls on mm-hmm. all aspects of your personality, some that you didn't know you had and other areas that you might think you've got in abundance, but actually you realize you're lacking in. And it's it's a hard it's a hard road being a carer. And I think King depicts that relationship so, so beautifully. And again, for me, this is a book about relationships between Dolores and Vera, between Dolores and her husband. And as you said, between Dolores and her daughter, where we think there'll be this catharsis, we think there'll be this coming together. But he shows the cost. I think you mentioned beautifully the word, the fraying of the relationship. There is a fraying of the relationship after the act that happens um, that felt incredibly uh, realistic and lifelike and unsatisfying because it was so true. Um, And, you know, I love that phrase about an accident is sometimes an unhappy woman's best friend. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that, that's the type of uh, you know and but that's Dolores's personality there's such personality in these pages for this mm-hmm. character I can't help but like just like love her I think it's just she's so sassy she's such a badass she's mm-hmm. so you know even when she's helpless you sort of you know and she is helpless there's a desperation here in this book with this character with everything mm-hmm. she's doing you know you do feel you know she is at her wit's end and um it's and it's and again she can't go to the police and stuff because she would just enc- encounter the same thing she encountered with the bank you know it's a boys club nothing had been done yet and at the same time she's like what do i do do i sit around and wait for something to happen to my child before i can report it you know mm-hmm. and then she's scarred and i you know and and we're scarred as a family because what the husband would do would then go on to affect the opinions of everyone around them in the neighborhood and you know it's just there's so many layers to it that I just find so engrossing um, as a book uh, and as a story. And it just feels like this is something it's lived. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. King's mum was a carer and the, the elements of that where Dolores is caring for Vera, I feel are his, his showing of, you know, what she went through, you know, while she was raising them, you know, and, you know, the, the devotion she was given to other people that she was caring for at the end of their lives. And, you know, I know this is, I didn't intend to talk about this tonight, but, you know, because we're talking about Stephen King, but we're going through currently the nurses are voting to strike and there's this lot of stuff happening yeah. within the UK about, you know, the NHS. And to be honest with you, my opinion is pay them what they want because yeah, yeah, man. not any, no, there's, there's very few that can do what they do. Yeah. And, you know, 
and and do it with such grace. And you know, the NHS is my, in my opinion, just isn't actually paying. They rely on the goodwill of these people because that's where they get into the career anyway. They get in because they're they are driven to to look after people. They're driven by that desire to to contribute. And uh, and that's why they're able to. That's why they're constantly underpaid because um, the NHS is or the the government rely on that. So pay them what they need. And I think that's you know that's you right. see that in this book. You see this the challenge. Mm-hmm. You feel Dolores's back pain. You feel the sweat of her brow in this book. You feel mm-hmm. how hard it is to be who she is mm-hmm. at the same time as her telling her you know, the good days and stuff like that, you know, the good where I was able to, where I felt like I contributed, I felt like I actually achieved some level of, you know, mm-hmm. taking the pain away in these people's lives. So, and to me, it's one of his best. Yeah. And, and, and those threads that are, you know, I think it was the first novel since Cujo that he wrote, you know, without chapter breaks, you know, his yep. first novel to be told entirely in the first person and as we mentioned, Cujo had that effect of being like a brick through the window. And with this, it it demands a lot of the reader. And, and I love that because it's like, look, you know, right, this is something new and, and you've got to stay with me here. You've got to stick yeah. with me once for me, once I get her voice and once I'm, I hear it and that happens very quickly, yeah. then it, it's an incredibly visceral read. Someone experimenting with styles, still, yeah. you know, very much just that that what's left from from that eighties we spoke about that experimental decade. Mm. A sense here of I don't think anyone would have thought again if you Pepsi taste challenge this book, <laughs> yeah, and put it in front of people, strip away the name of the author, you know, it feels like it, it absolutely um, could could be not written by King um, yeah. because. Yeah. It's he's trying new styles. He's trying, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things I really appreciated about it. Mm, uh, still mm. do. And you know, I did say it's not a horror book, but there is a really like the, there are scenes where um, Dolores is fantasizing about her husband. You know, her husband is dispatched by falling through an old well, and she mm. has these nightmares of him clawing his way up, and they're so vividly depicted, even though it's her just telling. Oh. And that is that was absolutely terrifying stuff um, to read and 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 really enjoyable because of because of it. Uh, you can tell he was having fun here. Yeah, uh, abs- absolutely. And balancing those two things. Yes, it's a character study, rich characters, but it's a thriller. You know that will you get away with it? You know yeah. that moment of you've committed a crime, but with the best intent. And what happens then? You're rooting for her. Is she going to get away with this? Yeah. Um, and it's it's a lovely, it's long and it's nasty and it's protracted that whole scene and what happens. Yeah. And interesting, King King said directly about this book, um, I'm just trying to find things I haven't done to stay alive creatively. Yeah. When you've made as much money as I have, there's a huge tendency to say you won't rock the boat. You'll just keep the formula flowing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fall into that trap. Yeah. I don't think well he hasn't for me because like oh. if you look at what we've already talked about in the seventies and the eighties, you couldn't link this book to those works, and that's kind of why it's so amazing to me as a book because it's just so standalone, different, and unique. And and I'm so happy that you know he went with this idea, had it, and fulfilled it because you know there could there was an easy you know it's great for him that he has that attitude because a lot of writers might not have you know once yeah. they've got a formula down pat. You know, they just uh, rely on that formula. This, per, you know, Stephen King has never relied on any formula with any of his stories, and he's always followed where his 
into the muse goes. Yeah, exactly. And this could be very much, you could tell this story in uh, a nuts and bolts, um, third person, you know, omniscient narrator style, but the fact that he goes for what he goes for and absolutely captures this voice. Um, it's, it's that whole thing, isn't it? Of let come close. Let me tell you a story. And yeah. we just, we settle in, there's a campfire roaring and we are absolutely under, under the spell of King and Dolores. It's a, it feels like a real milestone book for me within yeah. his career and within this decade. I agree. I agree. And then the next, the next one we have the talk about, I think people might rise up and say, why is this in this section, you know, of grounded um, storytelling because um, it does contain, you know, a supernatural element, but the green mile is the next one that I would say <laughs> is part of this. Um, the reason being that yes, the green mile does contain a character who has the ability to heal um, John coffee, but that, that is so, it is just so little. It's just a, such a smallest part of that story. You know, really the green mile is about people in the same way that Dolores is about its characters, that Jared Game is about its characters. It's set in 1932. It was his first historical well, story. At the time, it was originally published in th in six sections. It's now been collected as a novel. Yeah. So it has. And uh, it's set in, you know, this in the Green Mile, which is a, a part of a prison that uh, has old Sparky, an electric chair. And it's the place that people come after being sentenced to, um, to die by an electric chair. And it's about... Paul Edgecombe, who is in a retirement home, who who ran that, uh, who was the head boss of that Green Mile back in the 1930s and talking about his life now and how it's circular. And, and it's very, again, you were to, we were brought up 19, uh, 11, 22, 63, but there's elements of that in Green Mile too, mm. with the, the circular yeah. kind of motion of how everything in life comes back again. And Paul now in this care home is experiencing abuse in the same way that the prisoners on the Green Mile experienced abuse by one of the guards. And uh it's so again different. It's so it's 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 so much about the emotion of the characters than say the spooks and the scares and the vampires and whatever that again you you could be hard to link it to King. It's sort of it's the same thing as the films where people see Green Mile and they go, that can't be a Stephen King adaption or that can't be a shot. You know, that's not linked to him, you know. Um, and, yeah, yeah, that, that story isn't there that I think size mentioned before of uh, that old lady, an old lady in a supermarket, you know, going up to King and just you know, say, oh, I, I, I like those books like The Green Mile and The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I don't like the, any horror books, any King. It's like, yeah. Uh, well, I remember I was um, uh, when they came out in '96. I did you see it in the other cinema? Well, when they when they came out, I got them in the six um, individual uh, novellas in the six paperback volumes. Mm -hmm. So um, when they came out, you know, I was fascinated by that idea of him, uh, you know, emulating what Dickens did. Um, you know, let's end on a real cliffhanger. And I remember these beautifully, lovely illustrated, um, but yes. thin, slim volumes. And they, you know, what one would come out, uh, um, you know, each month. And that's how I read them initially, not in one collection, but when they came out, oh. I remember, yeah, I remember my mum buying them for me. And, you know, so I'd get one a month and then you'd race through it, obviously, in a sitting because yeah. they, they were that good and 
that you know digestible uh, and then you'd wait and and then the next one would come out so do you have a favorite one then because i didn't read it that way so do you have a favorite one of the sections is there a favorite one that always stood out to you mm, well yeah well i think i think i have a couple i think i really really love you know the two dead girls because i think the way that it sets that scene is so powerful the way he introduces paul the way he introduces the green mile and old sparky and immediately captures paul's voice mm-hmm. again king has such a knack for writing about uh older characters reminiscing yeah. um you know we just talked about dolores obviously and and i think he captures paul so so powerfully um and you know just the horror of what we find within that novel it really really was so brutal yeah. uh, and this is me before i was a dad but you know as a human being you read that passage where coffee is discovered with the two dead girls and it it, it, it packs such a punch and I think the other one I really loved was the one where they uh, take uh, John Coffey to go and and yep. and heal and put his healing to good use. And there's something so wonderful about that because so much of this novel is about Paul's scepticism thawing and then his faith in something that is just ha- what what the hell it's grounded in reality it's yeah. grounded in someone going what i i felt this and yeah. i've experienced the healing of this man but oh it can't be true but i am going to risk everything my job my reputation um going to prison myself everything i've got because i believe in this man and that moment where that um redemption comes and we see coffee at his most selfless and his most powerful i i found it incredibly beautiful because it started me dreaming about oh god if i had a superpower it would be to be able to do that you know and and it i found it fascinating that idea of we still live in an age don't we jamie where you hear stories of people being yeah. healed in ways that you go, what? How? Against the laws of science, medicine, chemistry, physics. Now, you know, I'm very skeptical, but I also am someone that has a faith in the possibility of what humans can do at their best. And I believe there's certain things that we just go, wow, Christ, I can't account for that, but wow. And I think this book taps into that little kind of ethereal stardust that exists so i think it's a very emotionally powerful book yeah absolutely that's that's how i would describe it just mm-hmm. it is you can't this is not a you know crime filler read this is an investment mm-hmm. into in the yeah. best way and one of the things you said stood out to me was how brutal it is king does not shy away about depicting the society of 1932 in this book the society that you know the racism that john coffee experiences because basically he's convicted it wouldn't matter if he would been found with the dead girls or not if he'd been found in the vicinity it's talked about you know he would just be automatically pegged for the murder because he is a you know he's an african-american man and the you know and perhaps best seen through one of the characters percy whitmore one of king's most you know the 90s decade is one that we talked about is overlooked but it has so such great villains in it we talked yeah. about norman daniels from rose matter but percy whitmore is such a bastard of a character you know he's such a little man a little petty man who has this yeah. small 
And you, we've met people like this in our lives. Everyone has these people that love power. You give them an inch and they love power. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. this person is working in, you know, Green Mile, the place where people come to end their lives. And Paul Edgecombe has this philosophy about treating people like human beings and keeping things calm, which works, you know, it's reflected in the fact that everyone there, they're, you know, they're at the end of their lives, but they're not kicking and screaming and fighting and stabbing the guards. There's no resentment towards the guards. The guards, in the same way that there's Glorious as a carer, the, the, the guards that Paul included are carers of these men that are there to, you know, fry essentially. And, and they look after them, they give them what they want, they treat them with respect, even though some of them have done heinous things and there's this awful kind of cool calmness that falls over many of them um before the end because of paul edge comes you know the way he runs is the mile but percy is just you know he is a he's he is a match inside a powder keg so he is he's <laughs> you know he is just out for himself a selfish insecure yeah. rat who is just vile you know he's vile and um and so and and so is the carer that paul has to deal well, with you know that's it isn't it? this echo where we where uh, we have brad you know brad dolan who is you go the world and every generation and every decade every year will be filled with Percy's and brad's you know people who like to inflict pain i mean the the really brutal passages in in Paul as an older man in the in the care home where Brad, you know, completely vulnerable, you know, in the care of Brad, who always gets this pleasure from, you know, grasping Paul's wrist and feeling his brittle bones move together. Again, the human horror that King writes about so well. And, you know, with the cast of characters within the Green Mile, I mean, again, it's almost, it is Shakespearean, right? You could absolutely see that. I could see that. I know it's a really great film adaptation and I I loved what Hanks did, you know, but for me, I'd, you know, you could see this on a stage. You know, yeah, got yeah. these really well-defined characters. Obviously, you know, you've got this the the good everyday man, good moral center compass of Paul Edgecombe. You know, you've got the, that wonderful, you know, right hand man of of brutal. We said yeah, the word I brutal. Love I love brutal. <laughs> you know, and and you've got coffee. This you know almost Christ-like figure. I, I mean, belief or not, just but from what we read of this figure that existed that had the power to heal. Um, to then, you know, Percy's viciousness and smallness, to then Wild Bill, who is just an absolute hoot. And yeah. every moment he's on the page, he's, I, I felt the page jumping out towards yeah. me, you know? <laughs> you know, you're, we talked about, you know, King does these things. He does these sort of like... um like we exercises in marketing and, and the green mile was this, you know, as you say, like a, it was a Dickens tale. It was, you know, yeah. six stories sliced into one to make this book. But really like when you think about it, that book is it's such a tremendous achievement of a book. Like that, that's kind of like that, you know, it's sort of so real to be put, you know, put, you know, it came about from a marketing idea when it kind of feels like this is the thing you've been working on for years or, you know, this is an idea you've always, it just feels like this should, in the same way, like the sum of other King's books, like, you know, 11, 22, 63, we hold them with such esteem. You know, these are books that stand out and, you know, and have such power in them. So it's the same with the Green Mile and the fact that it came about because somebody came up to King and said, do you want to try this sort of six part series and stuff yeah. like that? 
they ended up creating one of these fantastic sort of Shakespearean tales that could so work as a play and things like that so well. It's just uh, it's just really interesting that that's just how I just find that you know it it's it hits so high. It's such a brilliant bold book, yeah. and it could right from such you know you know it's like. I don't know, it maybe had the idea in the back burner all along and the guy came to the idea with it, but I just find it so strangely, um, uh, just the, the coincidence of it is just so unique. Yeah, I was, and it is it is just, a, it's a really wondrous book, I think, and it it's talks about the wonder, you know, I, again, it shows that vulnerability of these men, as you mentioned, Jamie, some of them who have committed heinous crimes, but the end of the day, King manages to portray the fact that, you know, look, these aren't good deaths. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, this is a human body that will be shaking and filled with fear and releasing bodily fluids because that's what it just boils down to. The, I guess the physicality of it, and he portrays the earthiness of it, but also this sense of the magic of what can happen, you know, within humanity as well. It feels like he captures all a might you know all, all the spectrum of humanity within this wonderful platform and setting of the green mile you know yeah. it's like all all human life is here and i'm going to show you this lens on it and i'm not going to judge it i'm just going to show it to you and see yeah. what you think of this yeah. um yeah and while he's done prison he's done a prison story before with shawshank this feels like you know again new territory it's a yeah. historical novel you know um but also very isolated and set within you know that time period um so he's able to sort of create these branch of characters and have statements about that time period without mm-hmm. actually you know going out it all happens on the mile you don't really see anything outside of the mile you know um so but it's just i you know i think you know it is what it's it's something that you need to as if you're even if you're just a general reader, I think this one will appeal to, you know, anyone. It's one I would recommend to someone yeah. who isn't a Stephen King fan who, you know, I don't like the scary stuff. Yes. And, and you know, go read this. And also to the scary fans that think maybe there's nothing in the 90s worth reading. There, there definitely is with this book. Well, I'd say The Bad Death of Edward Delacroix. I mean, that in itself is just a masterpiece in, you know, in, in horror and in the depths of humanity. Um, but I think it's a book about fear. I think it's a book about that does, uh, you know, nudge us and challenge us to think about our own reactions to revenge, to vengeance. What does vengeance look like? You know, will there be for all of those people watching these executions? Is there any kind of closure, you know, or, you know, what does it mean to take a life? Uh, and what is justice in itself and i love the fact that i don't get the sense in this book of king inserting his opinions or that he he literally is just as that writer going here are all the characters you you choose what you want you make your decisions here i'm not coming hard line down on um you know in favor of old sparky or against but i'm going to use it as this backdrop to tell that story of what happens when human beings roam a planet and yeah. and and start committing crimes and calling each other to justice mm-hmm. who who holds the, the you know the scales of justice right there. who's right who's wrong who's right the, yeah and it's it's there's no there's no clear a king doesn't express an opinion on it it's that's the kind of beauty of it as well is you know you're left to to think mm. what 
fan of it, you know, about what these people endure. But, you know, I think it's fascinating that he chooses, you know, we talked as well, you know, the podcast came out about it and how, you know, everyone took the mantle of, you know, the losers club and embraced it and, you know, embraced the fact that, you know, things that they would be mocked for whatever, because of society, you know, would attribute them to and are their power and their gifts and what make them special. And we embrace this mantle of the losers club. But I think with this King has always written about the downtrodden really well. He's always written about those that, you know, are on the fringes of society that are perhaps repressed. And these men, these, these people, and we say they're men because they are all males in this book that's why i'm saying that um on death row and they have created horrendous acts but there's few of them there's few those acts you don't really get to see other than a, and a few so you just sort of meet them as people and mm. then you get facts of what they've done in a factual way but you still have all this emotion attached to them like delacroix you know you really really feel for his character and you're oh. kind of why is this person this person seems like he couldn't you know hurt a fly and then they tell you why he's there and you're like oh my goodness and and it's a book again that doesn't pull its punches and it shows that he's not afraid of going look he showed us with Cujo right you know sometimes life does not have the happy ending that you want there is no last minute reprieve sometimes where you know oh actually because that's not life And if if you're going to read that and feel unsatisfied and how could you do that? Well, great. It means it's working. (laughs) Life has teeth and sometimes they bite you. Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing about this book is while King has shown you, you know, the horror and, you know, with it and Pennywise and, you know, Christine, the haunted car and Cujo, the St. Bernard and stuff, there's always an element of fantasy with them, mm-hmm. you know, you know, supernatural fantasy and stuff that allows us to sort of push them, put them away to a certain degree, you know, they're horrifying, but they're entertaining mm-hmm. to a certain degree. But with the 90s stuff, you know, the stuff that we're currently talking about in this, in this episode specifically, that these things could happen to anyone, you know, you, you know, an accident could have accidents can happen and you could end up chained to a bed <laughs> in a cabin <laughs> in the woods, or you could end up in an awful relationship. You know, we hear of them all the time. You know, the people that we date don't yeah, necessarily, yeah, yeah. they could be hiding things from us until they get us to a point where, you know, we can't get out or, you know, like this, we may, it's one bad day, isn't it? They say you can have one bad day and these men in green mile have had one bad day. And now they have to pay for those consequences with their lives. And so these these books have teeth, but the teeth in, in these the, these particular books are very different from that that is experienced from the shining of, of Salem's Lot. There is much, there's more of a, you know, and I feel that they they're they, the bite is more worse then, you know, there is a more emotion in them because of that, because he's grounded them mm-hmm. so and so well. You know, we're what, you know, kind of mid 90s now, obviously, you know, a good 20 years or so plus in into the writing career. If it, it again, it, it felt like he was able to write in that emotionally mature way about these characters, you know, mm-hmm. that maybe, yeah, you know, couldn't have done that earlier. Again, it, it felt like he's just absolutely in command of his craft and you know dickens again was that um reference point in the way that he wrote you know in the sixth story so where, um, where do we get where do we go now jamie 
Well, since we're talking about the world having teeth, I think that's a perfect lead into the girl who loved Tom Gordon, uh, which you have recently reread, um, I believe, for specifically for this podcast to talk I, about. I did. I did. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, right. OK, great. We've, we, I've got a couple of days. I've got a long train journey involved. So I was able to immerse myself in it. But before I share my reflections, yeah. Where does this book fit within King's canon, and especially at this stage in the nineties? What's it? What What are you getting from it, Jamie? Well, again, it's a, it's another one that is. There's no um, there's no element of fantasy here. This is you know even though it's a fictional work, this is about a young girl, Trisha McFarland, who is lost in the woods. That's it. The simple presence. Yeah. She's walking in the woods with her with her mother and her brother. Uh, one weekend, the uh, the parents have gone through a split, a separation that might end in divorce. And when they do these things at the weekend, both parents are like, and they want to have this over a sense of of you know of. Uh, fun and entertainment and all this stuff and you know but actually the kids it just pisses them off and the brother is having a hard time with it and you know they're having this argument with the mum and Trisha just is sick of hearing this argument so she goes to have a pee that she doesn't really need to do and she gets lost uh what transpires is another 300 pages of a young girl mm. just having to accept that the the the, the 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 real world our real world has teeth yeah. and sometimes it bites and I think, you know, I so I've read this book three times. The first two times I, you know, the first time again, I was a kid and I was like, where's the vampires? Where's the spookiness? <laughs> yeah, we're in the woods. Come on. You know, why are we in the, you know, is there, you know, and I read it like going, is there going to be a monster somewhere? And and in some ways there is. And, yes. and, it's, and you know, it's created in such a way that you could lead to belief. But again, I was ultimately disappointed um second time still experienced that you know i wanted to love this book and i couldn't and i kept hearing people really really loved it and then i read it on my reread and again when i have bad experiences with you know books or not bad experiences but books i don't necessarily fully fall for um and this was one I really was low on my list. I'm always apprehensive. And I went into it with low expectations on my reread. And I was just absolutely blown away. Mm. You know, I, I love Trisha. I just really, you know, thought she was a fantastic character. And King, you know, be it, you, you, you know, we're talking these, you know, in his 50s now or coming up to his 50s. Mm. He's and he's writing from the perspective of a nine-year-old girl, and he does it so well. He gets in her head so well. And I just I I her reactions felt real in how mm. she you know dealt with this fact that she's lost in the main you know in main woods uh you know and all the way that he describes things where there's a bit in the book where it says if trisha had gone left oh. she would have found a road and that that or if trisha had gone across this swamp you know one last time she would have found a town but no trisha didn't she went yeah west, and all the only thing that's in that direction is montreal 400 miles away and yes so well done and i you know so i just i really was engrossed i was really engrossed it was like i was reading a new book by mm. king sort of thing mm. and um so i yeah i i, I have a I have a great um a great love for it it's one of those books that i call it's a book that surprised me yeah so. And and again, we seem on that, you know, these books in particular, these psychological horrors, mm. psychological thrillers um, are, you know, you know, we look at Gerald's game, how stripped down it is, 
we look obviously at Dolores, how stripped down the cast of characters are, and the Green Mile to a degree. You know, we're we're really stripping away a lot of the, you know, the the filler. It's all killer here, right? And the same with Tom Gordon. It's really really stripped down to Trish, yeah. and of course, you know, and we get the mum and the brother and the dad, but they are bit part characters. It's ostensibly similar to Dolores. You know, my sense is, you know, we're focused on this one central character, and yeah. you know, can King get into her head and then get you know her into our head and can we get in their heads um and i yeah first time of reading and my initial sense was probably chimed similar to your first or second times of reading it in that i was like oh i'm not sure i i I would have been fascinated to see what this book looks like you know as a as a novella as a short story i mean obviously you know it's a relatively short story about you know yeah 200 odd page 220 odd pages but what would it look like really stripped down to like maybe a 60 70 pager yeah. um because i thought i really felt he portrayed her clearly i had less sense of the space of where i was um i think that's what i i struggled with too in the first time because again it, not in the same way that i struggled with the sense of place with the with the, the dark tower but because mm. you're in the woods you can only sort of depict, you know, you can only see that in so many ways, just trees and forest and yeah. you know, it, it, there's sort of, there's nothing new going into your imagination in terms of the backdrop. No, exactly. There's a lot of, there was a lot of falling down and then she got back up and falling down. And I agree with you. It was those moments that absolutely sucker punched me where he just so casually writes in that yeah. brilliant way that King does sometimes of just casually throwing a grenade at you, yeah. does it in the mist where he kills off characters like with one sentence or foreshadows their death. And as you said, within this book, he does it brilliantly. She turns left and he just drops in. That was the biggest mistake she's made yet. If she turned right, yeah. there's a town, there's a <laughs> civilization, there's a lake with a rowing boat on it and people and instead she's going deeper and deeper and you go, oh God, I get it. Because Christ, if we were in that situation and we're malnourished and we're dehydrated and we've got pneumonia and we've been stung by a ton of wasps, my God, how can we make those decisions? I mean, now you'd have your phone, right? But <laughs> but I <laughs> guess you'd, you'd write that you have no signal, you know? But that would, that's how it'd be written today. No signal. Yeah, exactly. All <laughs> signal gone. Yeah, O2 not working here. Well, O2 doesn't seem to work often in the centre. But anyway, I'll edit that bit out because I don't want them to sue us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I wanted to say about this book, Patricia's battery power in her wee radio that she made <laughs> lasted so long for someone who, you know, me, well, I just memories of using my Game Boy and holiday and always trying to get new batteries because they would burn out so quick. I love the way that, again, it, 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 yeah, he has such an imaginative way of how King uses chapters, either yeah. using chapters not using chapters and here of course each chapter is used as first inning second inning third inning bottom of the nine top of the nine so again using that baseball analogy to frame his chapters um and lovely ways in which we are with trish in the woods for the majority of the time 99.9 percent. but then we'll get a little glimpse into what's happening outside of the woods it, it never takes the camera away no 
such a way that you're actually present outside of the woods. You're still in the woods. It's just more like a factual kind of here's some information about what's going on. You yeah. know, you find out that Trish and Trish's mom and dad have got sort of, but it doesn't really say they've got together, but they they rekindle a, 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 to a certain degree mm-hmm. um, as they grieve for their lost child. And uh, and and you sort of maybe you think that oh you're led to believe that in my opinion when I was reading it that um they were going to get back together again through this awful ordeal because they've, they've learned that everything the pettiness between them that they've been fighting over isn't really a you know it isn't you know they know what actual thing you know what the actuality of what to worry about what to fear yeah. and that's kind of one of the themes of the book because you know Trish is. She's walked all these trails, you know, since she can remember. And it's the fact that, oh, crap, I am now, you know, no matter how far I walk, I'm not finding another path. I'm not finding another road. I'm not finding another help. I am in trouble here. But these are woods I've walked all my life and should know they can't hurt me. But, oh, no. And they can't hurt me because I'm a kid. And I think, you know, you're talking about King. I don't think King knew how this book was going to end until it did I don't think he had a plan I think mm. when Patricia makes those decisions to go right or left I think to a certain degree I think Patricia w- was going to die and and there's even like what I really held what found compelling was when she finds remnants of bears and there's and you know there's this idea she gets stalked but because I think what it, it suited me so better on the third read because I knew how it ends so when that element comes into it, where you see like a tree scratched with a claw or like a dead, um, decapitated doe, you're like, oh, this, there's something, you know, she's not just lost. There's something out here yeah. that's hunting her. And that added to it for me. And I think that's why another read for me really helped because I knew where the story was going to go. So I was able to see those wee things beforehand and feel a level of tension there that yes. I didn't necessarily feel in the first read. Um, so you know, I I think it's it's a really it's a really great. It's not I it's it's not five star for me because it's, it's such a small read. It's it's you know, it, and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. I can't pinpoint anything I didn't like about it. I enjoyed it immensely, but it's just um, it's not mm. like not. I don't view it in the same way as I view say it or The Shining. You know, it's sort of like mm. it, it's my world. But I just really enjoyed my times my the time I spent with Trish mm. and. The ending of it is just enough. We talked we talked a lot about the ending of Jared's game and how you know it would. I I personally feel it would have been better without the extra hundred pages about you know what Jesse's life is you know post Jared's death. Yeah. In this book, we have one small chapter Lovely. and that's it. That's enough, and it's yeah. very. It, it it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful chapter, and again, the yeah, it, it it's just enough and. And I love the ambiguity of how it ends in, in, in which, you know, we never know if that horror or what has teeth is human based or not. There's an ambiguity to it. Again, I, I, I love what you're saying, Jamie, about almost, you know, King probably didn't know how this was going to end. It felt like one of those books I used to read when I was a kid that I loved about in which you can have all the different endings, you know, you yeah, choose, yeah, yeah. you do. You, you know, and it has an element of that. And I love the surprise of it. I was never quite sure where it was going to go. And I know that King has form in, you know, unhappy endings. And and this, you know, I, I absolutely believe that this could go that yeah. way as well. So we, we've talked about these these books in the 90s that, you know, are, are absent of, you know, the, the, the more 
um, inhuman, you know, the monsters such oh. as the vampires, the werewolves. The, but that that phrase from this book, the world had teeth and it could bite you with them anytime it wanted. I get the sense that that phrase encapsulates all of these books that we've spoken about within this section, right? Yeah, I, I feel, I agree, you know. That you know, and I think the king always was trying to get at that, even when he was talking in his books that are fantastical and stuff, and and has you know inhuman horrors. That the idea that this you know you know you could you could doesn't matter how much you plan or prepare or look after yourself, you know things happen and bad you know bad things can happen yeah. and to good people at you know when they least expect it. Uh, but this is where he's really taken all the fantastical elements out and just placed it in a kind of. Uh, you know, grounded setting and said, here's here's what, you know, where my head is at now with these stories. And these books for me encapsulate very much the vulnerability, mm. the, the 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 highs, the lows, the 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 strengths, the the light, the darkness of the human condition. And for me, absolutely, this 90s period, in particular, these books are where he is leaning into his ability to tell rich layered characters, to bring them to life and to tell his story about the human condition. Yeah. And for me, out of the four, I don't think there's a bad one amongst them. You know, I know we talk about ones we didn't like and ones we yeah. we do. Like, and I know you're not as big on Tom Gordon as I am. But for me, this is, I think, the first episode where we actually haven't, well, I haven't ripped into any of them. So much actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, let's listen on that. You know, so as you know, listeners, we we like to do our our ratings, which of course are, you know, you might be screaming uh, at your uh, your fruit based device, going, "No, how can they do that?" But again, it's all just from from how each person has their read. But we do like to do our ratings to try and make sense of this multitude of books that we are beautifully wading our way through. So, Jamie, I am very very keen, sir, and we don't do this in in advance, so I don't know Jamie's; he doesn't know mine. Uh, uh, what uh, what are your ratings, sir? So, so what book do you want to start with? We'll start with the first one, Jared's game that we talked about. Yeah, lovely. What are you going for? Four stars. Four stars. You know, I really enjoyed my time with Jesse. I think it's a fantastic. It's a really strange thriller in that it's all confined to one room, but it's really a thriller. It just moves. It's a great book. Yeah, lovely. I am doing three five. 3.5 just again think that that ending i'd like it leaner um but yeah, yeah um astonishing absolutely sticks in the mind um the next um do we'll do uh dolores claiborne yeah that'll be five stars for me i just adore that book it is you know it's it's in my top 10 it's you know of him it's it's amazing yeah. And I'm just, you know, on the back of your recommendation, it was one that I hastily brought down from the shelf. And for me, it's a really strong four. And it's one that I am looking forward to definitely rereading. You know, again, I think I'm really listening to what you say about sometimes it's the second or third reads where even more reveals itself. So I, I can't wait to hear her voice again, uh, but a very strong four for me. Green Mile is four stars for me. Yeah. Okay. And Green Mile for me is a 4.5. Um, <laughs> I think it's beautiful. And I think it is just speaks of this richness of character development when we see King at the absolute height of his, his powers. 
And then the girl he loved, Tom Gordon, is four stars for me. Again, the only reason it doesn't hit that five is because I don't view it as, you know, a masterpiece. You know, I don't view it as something that sets the world on fire. Yeah. But I really enjoyed my time, Tricia. And uh, I would happily, happily revisit it again, even though it's such a lean tale. Yep. And and for me, I think it's a three at the moment. Um and but again, one that I I look forward to rereading at some stage. And it's interesting because it's been one that's cast a real shadow. It's been on my shelf for a while, but actually, you know, when I brought it down, it was so slight. And yeah. I wondered, oh my God, is the fact that I'm not really uh being a Brit hugely au fait with baseball gonna get in the way? And it didn't at yeah. all, actually. I thought it lent yeah. itself really, really nicely, you know, to and uh, the device of Tom Gordon, I thought was beautifully done. Would and you that, recommend to a young reader, would you recommend it to someone you we talk about? people that haven't read mm. King, you know what books we'd give them but i kind of wonder would the nine-year-old protagonist really suit someone at a young age i mean because i i obviously it wasn't my first read so i knew yeah. king being this supernatural writer um and that's why i had a trouble with it but to get into king at a young age do you think it would be a recommendation that's a really good question i think it would be one that would be up there um for, for sure a, 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 as a gateway in um you know, because there is, you know, she's brought to life so vividly, you know, mm -hmm. and again, that what if, if you were to get lost in the woods, how resourceful would you be? What would you, you know, yeah, I'd have to explain to, 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 especially to my kids at that age, this is what a Walkman is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so you know when you hear your dad talk about this word cd right <laughs> okay this is really going to blow your mind <laughs> But yeah. yeah, a fascinating, and I love the fact you put these four books together because I think they really, really sit beautifully and 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 show a side of King that, again, that age old argument of people going, "Well, I don't read horror books. You know, I don't, I don't like stories about monsters and vampires and that." Well, okay, fine. How about these? Have a look at this. Try these. Try these four. Yeah, try these for size. They got bite. <laughs> Brilliant. Jamie, well, listen, we're not done, though, are we? We're still not oh. done with the 90s. And in our oh. next episode, uh, so we've looked at our Dark Tower spine books. We've looked at our psychological books uh, as a little teaser trailer. What, what, what are we going to be looking at next in our, in our next part of the 90s? The next part of the 90s, I think that these books that can be defined as close to be, these are the horror books. These are in the, the firmly in the, the middle of the horror genre um, in terms of in terms of connecting to what King wrote in the 70s and the 80s, those fantastical elements. So while we do view the last four as having horror in them, absolutely, but they don't have that fantastical element that we that we that King has come from and and cut his teeth on it with his first publications. So these are the books in the 90s that for those that are fans of the 70s and 80 works might like the best. So you heard it here. Do not go anywhere. Next episode will drop and we will go deep into horror. Jamie, thank you so much as always, my friend. Thank you for having me. King Size was written and presented by Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at Kingsize Podcast. 
If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.